Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the All Ball Podcast. Today, I'm joined here by my friend Eli. What's going on, guys? Uh, my name is Eli. I'm a good friend of George's. Um, I've been a Miami Heat fan most of my my, my entire my entire life. Uh, first memory I have watching basketball was a Dwayne Wade buzzer beater over Baron Davis his rookie year in Game One of the playoffs. Uh, and ever since that moment, you know, what is that now? Six, 17 years ago, sixteen years ago been as big of a Heat fan as there is. So I'm living the life right now, George. How are you doing? Beautiful, beautiful. So uh, I have not done a podcast since the end of the Utah series. So we have a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. First and foremost, I want to get to the Nuggets. So those who know me well enough know that I'm a huge Nuggets fan. Knicks first and foremost. But ever since they drafted this seven-foot <laughs> fat Serbian guy <laughs> – I knew, <laughs> I knew this team was destined to do great things. They kept drafting players with other teams' picks. They it's took crazy, Jamal man. Murray with the Knicks pick. They, Michael Porter Jr. was their own bull bull they took uh, with the Heat yep. pick. But they've just been assembling this team and putting this team together better than I've ever seen before. And uh, it's manifested itself in a Western Conference Finals loss to the Lakers, albeit, but an amazing historic run from there so we uh in the last podcast i talked about uh their 3-1 win over the utah jazz however i have not gotten to speak on air about the 3-1 comeback against the los angeles clippers and those who have me on social media probably saw my rant (laughs) and (laughs) and it was it was glorious that day was one of the greatest days of my entire life Game seven, earlier on that night, all my friends were telling me, it's not going to happen. They can't do it twice. It's never been done in the history of the NBA. Kawhi Leonard was going to be, was going to pull something out. And I said, I said to my friend, Mike, I said, Mike, give me $50 on Denver to win 110. I bet the money line. (laughs) I won the money line. (laughs) And they came and Jokic played amazing. Jamal Murray played out of his mind. Jeremy Grant, underrated contributor. He's been real good for them, man. He's been amazing. Opted out of his contract, unfortunately. Yeah. But he's like, who knows? Nuggets might give him what he wants. So, Yeah, dude. We'll they've they've been super, super impressive. And, you know, honestly, I'm a Heat fan first. But, you know, the Nuggets have always been one of my other, like, my probably my second favorite team. Um, because I've been, you know, I watch a little high school basketball, like recruiting and whatnot. And Jamal Murray – was like one of my favorite, you know, players from when he was like 17, 18 years old, like a freshman at Kentucky and everything. Like Jamal Murray has been one of my guys. Like, uh, you know, all my friends know how much I love Jamal Murray. Even when he was like still like a rookie second year player, like a little inconsistent, he would have all those big games, but then he would come back with like a, you know, 6.2 of 10 stinker the next day. And he was growing, you know, figuring it all out. But Jamal Murray has been, you know, I'm a Heat fan, but I think other than Heat players, Jamal Murray is probably my favorite player in basketball. Oh, he's he's just astounding. Yeah. I mean, and he was – talk about destiny. He was the last piece of that Carmelo Anthony yeah. trade. He was the very last yep. piece of that Carmelo Anthony trade, and he happened to fall into Denver's hands. Um, and, I mean, the guy is a future all-pro, 100%. I so uh, I think him and Jokic are, like, just – destined to do great things with this roster if they can hold on to players like jeremy grant monte morris Monte uh, morris is another one you know i i watch insane amount of college basketball like jordan knows the college basketball to me is my favorite i love it more than the nba it's it's my you know that's my bread and butter and like monte morris is one of my favorite college players of all time you know just watching the way that he can like control an offense and you know he's not the biggest guy he's not the fastest guy he's not you know, all the, he's not the best shooter in the world, though he's a really good shooter, but he's just so smart. I think I remember, like, when he was, like, a sophomore in college or something, he set, like, the assist-to-turnover, like, ratio, like, record as, like, a sophomore point guard in the Big 12 or something like that, like, whatever year it was that he did that. And it's like, that's insane, like, being able to command the offense like that. Montemore is another yeah. guy that I just love. So I've, I've always been, you know, like, a Nugget supporter. Um, and I love the way that they just build their team is, like, you know, like right now in this day and age, I mean, we'll talk about the Lakers, I'm sure, in a second. But, you know, the Lakers are the example of like 
they got LeBron, they got AD, the two of the conservatively speaking, let's say six or seven best players in the world. And then they got like what, like Kuzma, Rondo, like, okay, like whatever. But like the Nuggets are like, yeah, they've got, you know, they might not have a LeBron. Like you and I know how much you love Jokic, but he's not LeBron, sure. But like, <laughs> you know, they don't have necessarily the LeBron or the AD, but they got like 15 really, really good basketball players. Right, right. Top to bottom, I think they probably have the most fundamentally sound roster in the NBA up there with like your yeah. Heat and the Celtics. Yeah. You know, Murray, Jokic, Grant, Morris, Tory Craig, Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, dude. And like the list goes on and on. The team is so like yeah, it's an amazing team. So right into the Western Conference Finals, uh, this series did not go exactly how everyone thought it was going to go. Now. Yes, the Lakers beat the Nuggets in five games, and that's probably what everyone anticipated. I think However, that's what I had picked before, maybe five or six. I forget what I said exactly, but right around there, yeah. Up until game four, the point split was exact. They, it was dead yep. even. They had scored the same amount of points, but the but the Lakers were up three one. And why were why were the Lakers up three one? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> so the the Nuggets win one game. Uh, they won game two. Or they won game three, excuse me. Game two, they're one shot away, a bad defensive rotation away from the series being tied 2-2. Just one. One defensive rotation away from the series being 2-2. Then you take that letter to the NBA that was written by, I don't God knows who, in the Lakers organization, had the audacity to write a letter to the NBA complaining that LeBron James was not getting to the line enough. And then the next game, they go to the line 35 times. Are you kidding me? Ridiculous. The, the, the Nuggets were one letter to the NBA and one bad defensive rotation from a low IQ player in Mason Plumley, away from being up 3-2. And the series, we would, have, we would have probably had game seven tonight. So I'm going to challenge you a tiny bit, though, George. Um, and what I'm going to say is, and I don't know all the inner workings of the details, just like I know you don't either. Like, you know, I'm not an NF- an NBA executive or anything, but I've read a lot over the last couple of days about how it's not unusual for teams to 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 kind of quote unquote write a letter to the NBA um, about like things that they think are being missed and whatnot. Apparently, the Nuggets wrote something similar. I don't know how formal. Again, I don't know exactly all the details, um, but it's not it's not in uncommon to kind of have a conversation about like what they believed were missed and what was like not called or what was called too much or whatever. And then, and I was rooting for the nuggets. So like, this isn't me like revisionist history or anything, but you know, then you go back and I saw a clip on Twitter of like every foul call that LeBron got. And I was like, man, like every one of those was a foul. There was one, I think it was Jeremy Grant, like uh, tried taking a charge and it was like a block charge. Like, really close on like the baseline. I mean, okay, fine, maybe, but like, you know, he got fouled. Um, there were a lot of arguable calls, but I think that honestly, I think there were more no calls. That, and that, that's where it might be. Calls that that's where that might be. Um, yeah. Jamal Murray towards the end of the game, everyone was talking about how LeBron shut down yeah. Jamal Murray. I saw about three plays where he, no calls on the way to the basket. Yeah, I actually didn't – I forget what I was doing, but I, that was the, the one game that I couldn't watch, Um, the one where, you know, he's, when LeBron came out and said what, whatever he said, he was like, I, I, I knew I had to take over or guard him or whatever. I actually couldn't watch that game. I watched the highlights, obviously, but I didn't watch every single play. Um, But, you know, I think, like, at the end of the day, I, I just challenged the idea that, like, it was all, like, the, the letter or anything like that. Um. You know, I, I just think, like, the Nuggets played extremely well all series. They played extremely well all season, all playoffs, everything. You know, it just – at the end of the day, I mean, the Lakers, they couldn't stop AD. LeBron just, right. you know, took over. Yeah, and they got they got a lot of contributions from guys yeah. like KCP and Yeah, Dwight, and, Dwight especially, uh, man. Dwight was, you know – Dwight was like the guy that just stepped up, 
you know, and it, it was really good because like they took Jokic away from the bucket, you know, as much as they could, you know, running all the the pick and rolls and whatnot with all those guys. And then, you know, I forget what game it was, but Dwight had like eight points and eight rebounds in the first quarter or like first quarter and a half or something like that. Yeah. You know, like that's unbelievable contribution from a guy like, you know, talk about Dwight falling from grace, but like landing back on his feet, man. Like it's insane. A couple of years ago, this guy was in, what, right. was in Charlotte and Atlanta and like all these like places. Yeah, Lakers before, Houston. you know, but now he's like back to being a contributing guy, um, you know. So good for him. But yeah, Washington yeah. too. He, yeah, I didn't even remember he was in Washington. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they got contributions from guys that you know that they can't necessarily count on entirely. And this is the the Heat fan right. in me hoping that they can't count on them entirely. <laughs> um, but yeah. And the Nuggets, though the Nuggets, yeah, oh no, not at all. The Nuggets, I they went, they won thirty-five games the year they drafted Jokic. The next year they win forty, and they're a playing game away from the from the playoffs. Next year they come and they take Portland to seven games uh, in the second round, and then this year they make the conference finals. So they've just been on a linear incline for the past like four or five years, and one day it'll manifest itself in a championship, and hopefully that day is soon. So let's go on now to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. So we got your Miami Heat beating the Boston Celtics. Now, I just want to say a few things. I'll let you take over this part. But I just want to say, Bam Adebayo's block is the greatest defensive play I've ever seen in my life. It's definitely up there. That was, I mean, it's it's not, it doesn't have the the same implications as LeBron James' chase down ball. But it was the most, it was the most, aesthetically pleasing defensive play I've ever seen in my life. It's two men going up at, at their at their peak athletic prime, going up one-on-one, mano-a-mano, just you and me, A-B, in the air right now, and the better man is going to win. I mean, Jason Tatum is a better player than better. I don't know. I know but I'm biased. Just, I mean. <laughs> the better man, his defense – won that exchange and it was the, it was the most it was like a good old fashioned mexican standoff yeah, it was beautiful and yeah. then you got tyler hero oh, man. phenomenal 37 points in game 5 yeah. i think and jimmy butler is just is just i mean jimmy butler's jimmy butler i've loved jimmy butler for years he's jimmy always Bucket. been like like just outside of being a superstar like on the precipice of being a superstar but not quite there i think that leading yeah. this team now to uh, to an NBA Finals as the top dog, and the way this team is constructed, we'll we'll talk about the finals in a little bit. But I'll let you take it over from here. I love Jimmy Butler. I love this team, and here you go ahead. Yeah, man. Uh man, this is. So I've been a Heat fan my whole life, which means that I've seen three championships. I've seen the young Dwayne Wade, who's my hero, my number one, my everything. Um, so nothing will will top, you know, just Dwayne Wade's career just in general. But I've seen a D-Wade Shaq title. I've seen the big three titles. I've seen big three losses. I've I've seen I've seen 30 and 11 when they were 11 and 30 at one point and they go on a tear with Deion Waiters and James Johnson. Like I've seen everything you could possibly see. I've seen 15 win seasons. I've seen everything as a Heat fan. And there's no doubt in my mind that this is my favorite team of all time. That he couldn't, God forbid, get swept four games, four blowouts, you know, whatever. And that's not going to happen. But, you know, if that were to theoretically happen, like this would still be my favorite team of all time. It doesn't even matter um, for personal, like, you know, cheering interest, whether they win the title or not. Um, but, like, this team is just, they're so bought in. They're so bought in from the moment that they got there. They're the chemistry, the the teamwork, the you know camaraderie, uh, the 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 culture. That's the word that you know the Heat use over and over and over again. Heat culture. Um, and I want to start with Jimmy. Um, I want to start with Jimmy because he's got this rep his whole career that really doesn't make sense, right? He goes to Chicago. He's in Chicago. He gets drafted by Chicago. And he's the he starts off as like a defensive specialist, barely plays at all, you know, whatever. Um, becomes like a role player on some of those D-Rose teams in the beginning. Um, but then he eventually becomes like the alpha dog on a team with 
a bunch of young guys that really don't go anywhere. Um, they get the one year with Dwayne Wade when he, you know, unfortunately the saddest day of my life, but he left and goes to, to Chicago. Um, and, you know, they, that was the year I think that they took Boston to seven games um, in the first round, uh, but ended up blowing it. Um, but, you know, Jimmy, his whole career has been the guy that everybody talks about as, you know, a horrible leader and, you know, everywhere he goes, the teams like fall apart, you know, whatever. And then you look at what happens whenever he leaves all of these places, you know, he leaves Chicago and they haven't made the playoffs since. I don't, I don't think so. You know, Timberwolves, he's there for one year. The Timberwolves had the longest playoff drought in, in the NBA. They hadn't made the playoffs since 2004, I believe it was, when Kevin Garnett uh, led them to the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. And then he goes there and the one year in the last 20 years almost that they made the playoffs was the year Jimmy was there. Yeah, in the playing game over Denver. Yeah, by the way. exactly. Yeah, um, you know he leaves there, and then now they have the number one overall pick two years later. He leaves Philly, and Philly's you know a couple bounces of that ridiculous Kawhi Leonard shot from the Eastern Conference Finals, and who knows from there, you know. And then the next year they get swept in the first round, and then he comes to Miami, and last year Miami missed the playoffs, and they were kind of right there till the I think the second to last day of the regular season they got eliminated. They were right there. Um, but you know, so they're not, they weren't a horrible team by any means, but you know, they get Jimmy and all of a sudden they're in the NBA finals. And I know it's not just him. Don't get me wrong. We didn't, Duncan Robinson wasn't doing anything last year. He played like 15 games in like seven minutes, you know, Bam Adebayo wasn't even starting because of Hassan Whiteside, which greatest trade in NBA history, get rid of that guy. Um, you know, we didn't have, didn't have Tyler Hero, obviously, you know, all, you can go on and on and on about the Heat, and I will in a second. But, you know, getting Jimmy – like, Udonis Haslam came out with a quote the, like a couple months ago, it seems, and he was just like, when you put a guy like Jimmy with a bunch of – and he used the word cat, which I think was a play on words, if you get where this is going. But he's like, you put him with a bunch of, you know, cats, and he's yeah. going to be the one growling. You put him with a bunch of dogs – and he's like the leader of the kennel or whatever the exact quote was. And that's exactly what it is. Jimmy was just put in a situation his whole career where there was dysfunction everywhere. Look at Philly right now. They're fighting all the time. And people are talking about Ben and Joel and Bede, if they can fit together. You know, the Timberwolves are the number one overall pick a year and a half later. Like, But then he comes to Miami where all we talk about is culture. And we talk about, you know, loving each other and working hard and, you know, these 3 a.m. workouts and all this kind of stuff. And now he's bought in, he's bought everybody in, and it's just – it's a beautiful, beautiful pair. Right. Um, so – He just galvanized the entire team. Like, you know, I the, – the Heat were not – if – maybe this year you'd be able to uh, think so, like in the in the middle of the season. But um, last year, if, if you said that you were Jimmy Butler away from the NBA Finals, I mean, it, was, it would have sounded ridiculous. Yeah. So – now to the to the finals. My prediction, uh, again, I'll let you take this one, but uh, my prediction is, I got the Heat winning in seven. I know I'm I could I'll be sounding stupid if LeBron ends up winning in like five six games, but there's a few things that I see happening. I uh, AD seems to have some sort of lingering uh, leg injury, and he's been hopping around yeah in the latter half of some games. He's always I'm not he's always kind of been right. Know. It's a it's a fool's game to to bet on an injury. Yeah, but I can see something happening. I can see something happening there. Some sort of injury with AD. I think Eric Spolstra is an infinitely bet. Frank Volk is a great coach. I think Eric Spolstra is the most underrated coach in the league. I, don't even I mean, if people talk about best coach in the league. They talk. Yeah. They talk Popovich. They talk Brad Stevens. They talk uh, Carlisle you know, and right Carlisle and. Um, uh, Nurse, uh, Dan Snyder, Nick Nurse, right? But you never, you really don't hear Eric Spolstra. When in reality, this is now his fifth Finals appearance, and uh, he has the chance to win his fourth. So, or it's win his third. Excuse he me. He was an yeah. on the 06 team, if that counts. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So I, he's one of the most underrated coaches in the league, in my opinion. I think that he's top three, definitely. Yeah, I think. I think that the really it's him and Pop, and Pop. I mean, obviously. Right. He's, you know, the GOAT, like one of the like legitimate greatest like Mount Rushmore's. But the last couple of years, I mean, you could argue right at this moment, I think like I think Spo's gotta be worst case too. 
you know, maybe you still give it to Pop. And I'm fair. I'm fair with that, given what he's done over his track record. But, you know, Pop hasn't been done anything really since the last couple of years. Right. But what, when it comes to coaching, I mean, it's not like a yeah. like a player where it really declines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, agree. I mean, it really matters who you have around you. So I, 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 I would agree. still put uh, yeah. Spolcher like a two behind somebody like Pop. And that's fair. That's fair. Also, I think the Heat are just, like I said before, they're just a better constructed team. Everyone was talking, when Denver beat the Clippers, everyone was saying, well, you can't just sign two guys or sign one guy and trade for another guy and then and then put everything uh, put these pieces around them that don't really fit and then expect them to win. Well, it didn't work for them, but that's exactly what the Lakers did. They signed LeBron, they traded everything for AD, and then they just put all these random pieces around them and just said, oh, here, it'll, it'll work. And having LeBron is, the, is amazing. But it can only get you so far. If you run into a team like this, and we see it in, in college basketball every yep. year, those one-and-done teams that uh, that um, they get R.J. Barrett and they get Zion Williamson and they get uh, Cam Reddish, and then they run into a team like Michigan State with Cassius Winston, yeah. who was a, a junior at the time, who had spent three years in Michigan State behind Miles Bridges yeah. and uh, and Jaron Jackson, and then he's the alpha dog, and then you have all these players who have been there for three, four years, and they end up beating a team like Duke. Now that's what I see here. Now Jimmy Butler's been there uh, just this year, but you look at you look around, and you now have just a better constructed team with a coach who seems like he's able to mesh it together together better than I've seen Frank Vogel do. And again, they have LeBron James, so it covers up for some stuff, obviously. Yeah. However that can only get you so far. And I think that they're going to run into uh, a big problem with a team that has so much continuity and, uh, and thirst like the heat do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that that's all, you know, that, that would be like the major talking point of how the heat can win this series um, just from a personnel, you know, perspective. Um, I think that the best way to kind of describe this is like, if you were, I saw, I think it was Matt Moore on Twitter. Um, he's a pretty big NBA guy. I don't know if you guys follow him, but uh, he tweeted out, he was like, list, everybody lists the 10 best players in this series in order. And I was like looking through all like the comments, like just the public people, whatever. And seven or eight of the 10 players listed were all on the Heat. It was like LeBron and AD, number one and two, no doubt about it. Yeah, I'm the biggest Heat fan ever, but nobody's better than LeBron or AD. That's fair. You know, but then you go after that and you got Bam, Jimmy, Drogic, Hero, at the very least, you have those four guys. Yeah, and then you get and your then you get, Kuzma's maybe. Yeah, but then Duncan Robinson is just as good as any of those guys, just as important at least. Right. You got Jay Crowder, who's bulldog on defense. I love Kelly. Yeah. Man. Kelly is going to play a lot in this series because the, the, the Lakers like to go big. Um, so right. Kelly is going to have to play a lot. He kind of fell out of favor the last couple games. But with the Celtics really only playing Daniel Tice, you know, and then everyone, like, they had a couple minutes to, you know, Robert Williams and whatever. But that's not a big deal for, you know, the Heat, you know, defense and whatever. But, you know, and you got to play, you know, AD, Dwight, and JaVale, sometimes two at a time. Like, Kelly's going to get some minutes. Um, you know, all those guys. And then you got Iguodala, obviously. Like, you could make a case that, you know, seven of the 10 best players in this series are Heat players, right? Like, who's the third best player on the Lakers? It's probably Kuzma, Rondo, uh, Danny Green, like one of those guys. Like, are any of those guys, like, definitely better than Duncan Robinson or Jay Crowder? I mean, you could probably make an argument, sure, here or there, whatever. But, like, it's not resounding by any means. Um and that's where the Heat would have a chance to win this. Um, and then you also brought up, and we talked about it a little bit, but Spo, you know, Frank Vogel is a solid coach. You know, there's no doubt about it. You know, he's he's been coaching for a couple of years now. He's, you know, multiple teams. And obviously he was the, the only semi-thorn in the Heat side for a second in the big three era with the Pacers and whatnot, but not really even. But, you know, he's a good coach, but Spo is the coach, right? So – how are the Heat going to win this series? You know, I think it's going to be with – I think the Heat are going to win – Like I'm with you. I Heat in seven. That's what I've been saying. Um, 
It's my like that. That's my prediction. I think it's going to be Heat in seven, and I think they're going to win with depth. And I think the biggest thing they're going to do is they are going to play the Lakers a lot like they played Milwaukee. Um, the only difference is AD is a lot better than Middleton, of course. And Middleton's a great player too, but obviously he's no AD. Right. But I think what the Heat are going to do is they are going to build a wall and try and stop LeBron from being LeBron as much as we can. Of course, LeBron still, you know, I say this now and then a week from now he's going to be averaging 27, 9 and 9. But, you know, as much as we can to stop him from taking over. Um, And the Heat are built to do that because they have multiple guys they can throw at him. That's the thing that a lot of other teams don't have. You know, like nobody's going to stop LeBron by any means. But between Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, Andre Iguodala, and then Bam switching on, you know, people. He's not going to guard him, you know, one-on-one too much just because of how valuable he is to the help defense. But, you know, having him come also, like, to be able to switch on all these guys, like, all of those guys can take a shot at LeBron. And if they just build a wall the way that they built a wall around Giannis and make Giannis pass to open shooters and make LeBron do the same thing, then are you confident that KCP, Caruso – you know, Rondo, are they going to hit these open shots? I don't know. You know, I, I the, the numbers say no. The Lakers are the 21st ranked shooting team, three-point shooting team in basketball, and it didn't get any better in the playoffs. Uh, right. Caruso's not a great yeah. shooter. Danny Green hasn't Danny been shooting. Danny Green's shooting 35%, which is league average. Right. Uh, you know, KCP is a little above. I think he's shooting like 37, I saw, or something like that. You know, he's... He's fine, but you know if K- if we if the Heat lose this series because KCP averages thirty, you know tip your cap, fine, good job Lakers, you deserve it, you know. But that's not happening, right? The, the major problem I think is going to be when LeBron, the LeBron Anthony Davis pick and roll, um, because AD is the best pick and roll player in basketball. And that's the number one play that anybody runs, you know, in, in basketball. It's the most famous, it's the most popular, easy motion play. And AD is unstoppable because he's an unbelievable lob threat with his go-go gadget arms and, you know, unbelievable leaping ability and finishing around the basket. But he's also an unbelievable pick and pop threat because he can step out and hit a three a little bit. And if not, you know, he can hit a, you know, elbow jumper or, you know, free throw line extended jumper. Um, you know, he can do all of that, but he's also really, really good in traffic, you know, a, a roll to the bucket. It might not be a lob, but, you know, still a roll to the bucket. Like he's going to be, I think AD is going to have an unbelievable series. Um, but does that mean that the Heat can't stop the rest of the guys? That's what it's going to come down to is how much do the other guys step up? Because LeBron and AD are going to are gonna have their fill, right? But are these other guys going to do so? And that's where if we can force a couple turnovers, force a couple long rebounds off like missed, you know, Caruso wide open threes and get out and run and give the ball to Tyler in open court situations or Goron in open court situations or, you know, bam, rolling to the bucket. Like that's where it's going to come down to. And I think the other main reason, the other main way that the Heat win this series is with their three-point shooting. They're the second best three-point shooting team all season. They shot 38% um, from three. And they shot 38% in the playoffs as well. When it's supposed to get harder, they still shot 38% from three, which is, I think it was second to, I think the Mavericks shot like 38 and a half or something. It was like right there. I forget who it was. Um, if the Heat hit their threes and AD doesn't go for 40, which he might because he's unbelievable, um, the Heat can win the series. And the biggest thing is like at the end of games, the Heat have dominated. They have dominated. Both losses to the Celtics were blowouts, kind of, where they just, like, it wasn't a really close game. Any close game, all playoffs, with the exception of the overtime loss to Milwaukee, which, by the way, the refs messed that up. They came out and said it, so he should have been but whatever. <laughs> um, every close game, the Heat just, they figure it out, and they, they want it, they, they care, they play with each other. Man, I could go on and on and on about this team, but... And I think the final thing that I want to mention like specifically is I think we're about to see the real Bam kind of show himself. All season as Heat fans and as Heat media and whatever, all we've talked about is we want Bam to be more aggressive. 
He only averaged, I think it was 16 and a half points a game, or maybe it was, eight, it was 18 and a half, 18 and a half points a game, you know, this season, which is obviously really good. I mean, that's, he's not, he's not a bench yeah. player by any means. He was an all-star for a reason, all defense, everything, you know, and he's not a three-point shooter yet or anything like that, but, you know, he is, I think we're about to see the breakout because all season we've talked about, we want Bam to be more aggressive. And, Right. If you took away a little bit of like Jokic's size and skill, and you made him extremely athletic, I think you have a player yeah. like. Yeah, I mean they they are, they put up similar stat lines. Jokic just hits a couple more threes because he's he's a better shooter at this standpoint. But you know, in terms of the assists numbers, the rebounding numbers, and obviously Jokic is a little bit better of a scorer, but a lot of that comes from his three point shooting. You know. You, I don't know how many Jokic, how many points Jokic averages exactly, but take out you know his one and a half threes a game or whatever, and it's probably pretty similar. You know, Jokic isn't averaging you know twenty seven or anything like that, as far as I remember. Um, well, in the playoffs, yeah. usually does, but regular season, he's he's around like tw- between twenty and twenty. Yeah, yeah, I see. Now he's averaging twenty, so he averages two points, two and a half ish more than than Bam. You take out a three or something, and it's more or less the same. So yeah, I I, I see the the comparison for sure, um, but. What we saw in game six of the Miami series was Bam realized, like, man, like, I need to take over, and I'm ready to do so. And, man, that fourth quarter of Bam Adebayo, I think, is what we're about to see for the rest of his career. I think we're about – this This was the – Bam already, you know, had his coming out party, all-star, all-defense, everything, but we're about to see his real coming out party because he just needed to see himself do it on a big stage. I read an article today, actually, about how Bam was still nervous. You know, going into the first game of the playoffs, like, Bam was, like, really, really nervous and scared. He was like, this is my first, like, real playoff game, you know, whatever. He ended up dropping 23-10-6. So, you know, he, he figured it out for <laughs> sure, you know. But he's still yeah. trying to figure his figure it out, get his legs under him, you know, and whatnot. But we're about to see the Bam – I think that is going to explode. And I think we started seeing it in game six when he realized that he were down 96 to 90 and they needed somebody to step up. And it was no one, none other than Bam. And I think that we're about to see his coming out party. So Heat in seven, Bam is going to be the MVP. It's not going to be Jimmy. It's not going to be Tyler. It's not going to be Goron. But we're going to look at it and we're going to say, wow, this was this was the series that – propelled Bam to top 10 to 15 status, and I'm ready for it. Right. So we, we both got Heat yes, in seven, and you're a Heat fan. I'm rooting for the Heat. As I, I love LeBron James. However, I, I don't have any – I don't have any soft spot for teams that are uh, that are built the way that they built themselves, and I, I love teams that are built the way the Heat are built. So uh, now finish with the NBA, I'd be remiss if we didn't get to talk about – what's been going on in the NFL through three weeks. So there's been pretty much two things that, that have highlighted, uh, that have highlighted um, what's been going on. Number one, injuries. injuries. And there is, I don't think that it's a result of, of no preseason. I mean, possibly, but these aren't soft tissue injuries. Guys are like, guys are popping ACLs. Like, it's going out of style. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. There's way too many to name. You know, you, of course, you have your Barclays and your uh, and your McCaffreys and your Michael Thomas and your George Kittles and, and this and that. Quarterback. Beat up. What have you. But, I mean, it's it's just been ridiculous. I, I remember the day, the Monday yeah. after week two, just hearing every this guy out for the year, out for the year, out for the year, out for the year. At one that. point, I looked at my phone. And I had six notifications on my phone before I cleared my notification center telling me that six different guys popped their Achilles or their ACLs. Ridiculous. And I don't know what it's because of. I think it is. I mean, not entirely. Some of it's just bad luck. But I think it is a lot of the fact that there was no preseason. There was no training. Excuse me. There was no training camp or anything. And it's not, you know, part of it is just like, at the end of the day, it's just that these guys aren't conditioned right now. Um, you know, a lot of it is just a lot of, you know, guys that aren't used to getting hit. And if you're not used to getting hit and you're not used to running around and having pads on, and, and it's not just that, you know, it's the idea of like, 
you're not able to fully take care of yourself when you're not used to playing, right? It's like, it's like you're putting out by, it's like, it's almost like the more honed in on your craft that you are, the less likely you are to get injured because the more likely you're, you're putting yourself in a position to stay safe, right? Like the best example, I guess, is like, how often do we hear like the possibility of like maybe a young guy, like a, a guy just trying to make a play, right? Like you're the 52nd man on the roster, right? You, you're just trying to make a play. You're trying to stay alive. You're trying to find a job. So you like throw your body out just to like make that extra play. But because you do that, you know, you're just, you're trying a little too hard and you're end up either hurting somebody else or hurting yourself because like you don't dive the correct way or, you know, you, you know, you're trying to do something that your body like isn't physically athletically capable of doing. And, you know, that's an example where, where skill comes to the, the, you know, the forefront of like not being, you know, like the 52nd man on the roster, but the same idea of like not being prepared physically means that you're like not put in a situation where, you know, you're able to, to take care of your body. And I think it's like not being used to taking hits, not being conditioned, you know, not being at the top of your game will lead to a lot of injuries like that. And the other big thing with injuries is at least from a uh, you know, specific perspective is apparently the MetLife turf is like, is, has yes. been a disaster, right? I mean, look at week two for the 49ers in one game, they lost Raheem Mostert, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, Solomon Thomas, Richard Sherman and Nick Bosa. Or it was Richard Sherman the week before I forget, but maybe it was the week before, but even if it's not Richard Sherman, those four guys, five guys, whatever. And they blamed it on the turf and the Steelers, your Steelers, you know, said the same thing. You know, they didn't make it as public because luckily they didn't have as many injuries. But Right, but uh, we, we were missing – the next week we were missing both of our interior guards. We were yeah, missing David DeCastro and Stefan. Yeah, yeah. And it, it didn't get the headlines because it wasn't, you know, Nick Bosa and all those guys. But, you know, right. they also apparently, like, again, not in the headlines, but apparently they complained to the NFL too about, you know, the turf, right? And mm-hmm. that – you know, that's something to monitor going forward. I'm a big Ravens fan, and I know we play the the, the, the Giants this year. And immediately after hearing that, I was like, okay, wh- where are they playing the Giants? Is it in New York or is it in, in Baltimore? Right. It could be a Luckily, we yeah. play them in Baltimore, and it's like week 15 or something like that. So okay. the Ravens should be fine. Talk, talk, about, a, talk about a death sentence. I'm, I'm sitting here now getting all this information today that the Titans yeah. – who this, my Steelers are playing next week? Eight players tested positive for COVID. Eight, eight so is the game happening? Is not happening? Are my are my players going to get sick? It was three players and five personnel guys. Just to clarify. so it wasn't eight oh, players, man. but it was eight. People. Yeah. yeah, 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 man. I don't know. I just got an alert now, actually, like while we were recording this, that the NFL is still planning on um, playing on Sunday with uh, the contingency plan being to play Monday night instead. Um, I don't. I don't know like, how realistic that is, though, because the Titans can't get into their facility until Saturday. So are you going to, yeah, you know, we talk about injuries, right? Are you going to not have a team practice for a whole week, have one walkthrough on Saturday, and then, you know, basically go Sunday to Sunday, you play a hard-fought game against the Vikings, and then the next week you're playing on half a day's practice in Pittsburgh or against Pittsburgh? I mean, I don't know. You know, another – Right. Well, you know, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Well, yeah. You. About, you. Uh, you a Taylor opponent. Opponent not being prepared. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame you. But another contingency that I had heard though is like a. You know. I mean, not from an NFL exec or anything, but just you know, some smart guys on Twitter basically is like the to to just move the game, make the Steelers by week this week, and then the Steelers and Ravens play each other week eight. Uh, or week seven, and the Ravens have a bye week, week eight. So move that game to week seven so that the Steelers and Ravens play week seven and have the Ravens have the bye week, week eight or whatever. And then that next week after that is the Titans bye week. So then the Steelers will play the Titans that week. So basically have the Steelers have their bye week this week and then have the Steelers and Titans play during the Titans bye week in week seven or whatever it is. And then the other week would just be the Ravens just switch their bye weeks. So I saw that as a possibility too of like, if you just have to 
that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But the thing is, if it if it doesn't come from yeah, somebody of like of course, yeah. Schefter, just something that like uh, was an interesting like, you know, if if some random guy on Twitter can can think of that, you know, I hope that if they have to postpone. You know, I know what the NFL wants to do is to get no hiccups, right? Like, that's the ideal. If they can right. find a way to play on Sunday, they're going to play on Sunday. But if they realize they physically cannot play on Sunday, you know, that would be a, a way to you know, hopefully alleviate the problem and just, you know, all that it really does is move the Ravens by week up a week, which as a Ravens fan is whatever. Who cares? That's why. Right. So as a huge yep. NFL fan, uh, we love – Yep. Good quarterbacks, and so there is a lot of year, we've seen a lot of disappointing. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, we've seen a lot of disappointing teams, uh, but we've seen a lot, like a ton of good quarterback play. And for those of you who don't know, I've been um, I've been doing a weekly uh, series, uh, ranking every quarterback for that particular week, and then giving them a three word description based on how they played. So. The three guys that have shown up in the top five every week so far, Russell Wilson, yep. Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen. My man, Josh Allen. Can we start there? Because, yeah. I, so I, like I said, I'm a big college sports guy, and I love the NFL and NBA, and NBA draft. You know, we were talking about the NBA earlier. So I remember Josh Allen in college and everything, and he was very, very polarizing. You know, a lot of people loved him, and a lot of people hated him. You know, and like I, I've had, you know, just my friends even, like not like experts or anything, but my friends, you know, were all over the place on him. And then you see the experts that are all over the place on him. Like I know Mel Kuyper, I think, was obsessed with him and so was Matt Miller. But then like Todd McShay of ESPN like hated him or whichever one it was. But he's very, very polarizing. But from the very beginning, I was on the bandwagon. I had always said that Allen is really, really good. You know, the situation wasn't perfect. And, you know, completion percentage is a little overrated because <clears> – <throat> excuse me, he chucks the ball like 50 yards down the field. So, like, this is my victory lap of being, like, I have been on the Josh Allen bandwagon since his junior year at Wyoming, of all places, and he's put it together. I know we all knew he needed time. He was raw. He was coming from Wyoming. He didn't play, you know, a pro-style offense under an NFL coach at, you know, USC or something like that. We knew he needed a second, but, you know – the way that he's playing right now, the way that he's bowling right now, he's running over people. He's throwing it 50 yards down the field. He's controlling the offense. You know, he's missing a couple passes here or there. He's still a little inconsistent, you know, accuracy-wise, but that's going to happen, you know. But shout out to Josh Allen because I'm definitely one of his bigger, you know, non-Bills fans, you know, fans. And, you know, he's playing unbelievable football right now. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, he's – Every week, 300 yards, 400 yeah. yards, four touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. And then, of course, he has those those signature plays where he just – he plays quarterback like he's a yeah. defensive he's quarterback, uh, he's a linebacker. He's a linebacker. <laughs> you know, he's stiff-arming guys here. He's doing – he's running away from guys there. He's spinning out of this, and he's jumping over him. And, I mean, they, he's just been unbelievable so far. And – uh He's probably second, and if I had to pick an MVP right now, I'd say he's second after Russell Wilson. Second, uh, probably tied with another guy I mentioned, Aaron Rodgers, who's again been yeah. playing out. Mahomes, he. I know we take Aaron we Rogers. take Mahomes for granted sometimes, and I'm a Ravens fan. So last night, you know, we're recording this on Tuesday. Uh, very depressing, but you know. We can't leave this. We can't have a conversation about quarterbacks without at least mentioning Pat Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. Oh so. no, 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 not no. But the first yeah. two weeks, he was not. He was not in the conversation yet. And I don't think that yesterday's game, although it probably was, right after Wilson, probably the best quarterbacking yeah. of the week. I don't think it was enough to to propel him past Allen and Rodgers, who have been doing it consistently through through three weeks. But Rodgers. Um, he has – I saw a stat today. He's completed 27, 27% of his passes have been, uh, have been right on the money, like meaning it couldn't have had perfect placement, which is 6% higher than someone who's in second place. He's at 27% on perfect passes. And these aren't all just 
you know, Matt LaFleur loves to run the screen game and whatever, but it's not just the screens. He's throwing these – his big-time throw percentage is ridiculous. Every game he's got two or three balls that he, on the run, 40 yards, 50 yards down the field, that he just he flicks his arm and drops it right in the bucket to Lazard, to Devontae Adams, to Marcus valdez he beat the Saints with an undrafted, with an undrafted receiver. Alan Lazard had like a hundred and something yard, hundred fifty yards, and like two touchdowns the other day. Yeah, Rodgers is balling, man. Yeah, yeah, I I love him so much, and of course we can't ignore what Russell Wilson's been doing. Uh, he's my MVP right now. I honestly, I, we all know Pat Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league, talent wise. But I, I, you might call me crazy. If I'm picking a guy for like just the season, I don't know. I'm taking I'm taking Russell Wilson. He's got 14 touchdowns to one interception through three weeks. He's been playing out of his mind again. Look. The deep pass is unparalleled. Yeah, man, Russ. You know, I just waxed poetically about Jamal Murray a little earlier, and Russ yeah. is my NFL equivalent. You know, he was. Yeah, yeah. I watched yeah. him in Wisconsin. I'm yep. at Michigan State, yep. and as you know. I saw him play against Kirk yep, Cousins yep. a bunch of times. That Hail Mary. Yep. Oh, yes, I remember that. Yep. Yeah, yeah so, like, high school football is a little harder to follow because there's so many players and whatnot. But, you know, so I wouldn't say I liked him in high school the way that I liked Jamal Murray. But, you know, Russell Wilson has been my favorite – I'm a Ravens fan, like I said – my favorite non-Raven pretty much since his, like, rookie year. And I loved him in college too, but it's a little – like I said, college football – like, football is a little harder than, like, basketball, like I said, because there's so many more players. Um, but – you know, Russell Wilson has been my favorite non-Raven for the last, what, 10 years now, it feels like, you know, ballpark. I think he was drafted in 2011, right? Nine years to so nine years ago, whatever. You know, I absolutely love Russell Wilson. He is a superstar. There's, you know, there aren't there aren't enough words to describe, you know, how incredible this, this guy is. And, you know, they're finally letting him, you know, the, the phrase that everybody keeps talking about, let Russ cook, right? That was like the, I think it's like a Seahawks, you know, hashtag that they keep talking about or whatever. Like, they're, they're, right. Yeah. When yeah. All they used to do like, is run the ball and play defense. And then they're like, oh, like, Russ, we're down three with four minutes left. Just take over. And then he would finally open it up and, you know, start throwing the ball up and down the field. And they would win all these close games, right? Like, they were nine and one. I think I saw a stat the other day. I think it was nine and one in one score games last year. And like, a lot of the time, that's coincidence. You know, you regress to the mean the next year, you know, all these kinds of things. Right. But every once in a while, there are, like, specific occasions where it's, like, it's not just, like, random sample size. Like, this is just the way that the Seahawks play because they keep the game close and then they just trust that their guy is better than your guy, you know. And and that's what it was last night or two nights ago. Um, you know, I'm a big Dak Prescott guy. You know, I, I, I think that he's a, you know, a star as well. He's in the, the next tier. He's not, you know, these three or four guys, you know, Lamar Watson, but he's right behind those guys. So I love Dak right. too. But at the end of the day, it came down to Russ let a touchdown drive and Dak threw a pick on fourth down, right? And, and that's, not, that's not a knock on Dak. Again, I'm going to say it again. I think Dak is a star. I'm one of Right, he's it, phenomenal. And I'm glad he shut down all the conversation between him and Wentz this year. I mean, Wentz, talk talk about regressing to the. Next. I'm still big. I'm still a big Wentz guy too. I think he's not playing well right now. There's no doubt about it. You know, but you know, if every quarterback wasn't allowed two or three bad games, you know, Aaron Rodgers would have been out of a job 15 years ago probably. It happens to everybody, right? Sure. You know, he's got no weapons, and you know, the coaching hasn't been good, and they're injured, and. I'm not not just to make excuses. He hasn't been a, he hasn't been good at all. I totally understand that, but I don't think it's early. I think it's too early to say like, oh, Wentz is a bust or whatever. I still think Wentz is a star. But yeah, I, I agree. But he has not been I good I agree. right now. Is is all all the stuff that he was good at in 2017, the the third down uh, efficiency, uh, touchdowns, all that. Those are, those are some of the most highly like volatile things that you cannot bet on on a year-by-year basis. And since that point, I mean, it, was re- it would be really re- hard to replicate that. But since that point, he just hasn't been able to. And I think that Dak – I mean, whatever you want to say, whether he's, whether he's going to uh, come back from this or not, I think either way, Dak Prescott has taken that title for himself as the best quarterback in that division yeah, right it's now. It's tough to argue. 
Yeah. And of course you have Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, and you, it's not Daniel Dwayne Jones. Haskins. I'm still a Daniel Jones believer, but I'll tell you. Daniel Jones, he's not playing. He's had some good, uh, some yeah. good plays. He hasn't played terrible. I mean, if you, if you don't look, you can't trust yeah. the box score all the time. Aside from the boneheaded turnovers, he's he's had some yeah. decent. I, I'm still so a believer enough in Daniel Jones is like at least like an average long term starter. But Dwayne Haskins, on the other hand, that's yeah, I'm poor, out of completely. Poor, I, just, I don't see anything. I, I don't see anything there. There's no big play yeah. potential. Uh, I've never been, been the, yeah. the pocket passer that he was at OSU. Yeah, I've never been a I've never been a Haskins guy. Yeah. So, is there anything you want to say before? Um, no, man. I think actually one, one tiny thing that I just wanted to because I forgot to mention earlier, and I just thought about it. Um, just real quick, back to the NBA. That Bam block, you know, you brought it up real quick, but I just want to one more time wax poetically about how incredible that was. And it wasn't just the fact that it was like the block because, like you said, he went up and whatnot, but the the mental fortitude to like you play basketball. I know like I played with you before and, you know, I'm a big basketball player too. And like, you know, your dominant hand is what you always use to block the shot. Cause you're more comfortable jumping off. And, right. You know, it's like the one that you can extend longer and you know, whatever Bam is a righty. He blocked that with his left hand. And that might not sound like that impressive, especially if you're not the biggest basketball guy or anything like that. But like, that is a, I'm thinking about doing it right that now. That is extremely impressive. And it's not just like you could be like, oh, he could have just done it with his right. He just did it with his left. If he blocks that or he tries to block that with his right hand, it is impossible for him not to have fouled Jason Tatum. Because from the angle, like if you watch the replay, like Tim Legler was talking about this on ESPN, I think. And, you know, it's what kind of what got me thinking about it. And I watched it myself and I was like, oh, my God. But, like, the angle that he was coming at, like, to block it with his right hand, he would have had to come over his body – and there's no way that he could have done that without hitting without Jason foul. Tatum. Right. So, A, the, the mental ability to decide, like, I have to do this with my light hand, left hand like that, you know, like a flip of a switch. And then the physical ability to get up there, still get high enough, be strong enough, and time it perfectly. Man, I didn't get to talk about the block earlier because I talked about Jimmy for 25 minutes, it felt like, because I love Jimmy. But just – you know, that 30-second spiel or whatever that was, like, man, that block is insane. Heat in seven. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, so thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome anytime you want. I extended the invitation to uh, to uh, one of the state yeah. brothers earlier to see if he wanted to come on, but he didn't get back to me before I started. So, They've been telling me they're going to get me on. That would have been nice Hopefully. if we could have gotten him on, too. They've been telling me they want to <laughs> get me on, but they haven't – you know, they're all talk, so – well, well I'll, I'll send them your way once they finally get back to me. So, Yeah, yeah. I, I reach out to them. Oh, he's texting me right now. No, it's too late. I took over. Yeah, there we go. All right. Uh, Always great talking man. to you. Hopefully I'll see you soon. And uh, seven. seven. Good talking to you, man. All right, awesome. Thanks.